Hey, everybody, as we gear up for 2020, I want to hear from you and the things that you'd like to see on this show. So if you have a question, a comment, a topic, a guest, any kind of suggestion for how I built it in 2020, let me know by going to howibuilt.it slash feedback. That's howibuilt.it slash feedback if you would like to see something on this show in 2020. And now, on with the show. Put yourself in the shoes of an investor. People are coming at you all day long, 50 people a day, knocking on your door, seeking money from you. Are you going to take someone seriously if it's just an idea and they haven't put any real either time, blood, sweat, effort, money into it? This guy's not serious. Nathan Beckard is the CEO of Foundersuite, a group of tools to help those seeking venture capital as well as tools for venture capitalists. We talk all about how he built this after spending a decade helping startups raise their own VC funds. We also cover how to seek VC funding and if business plans are even useful anymore. I had to write a business plan about 10 years ago and it was not fun uh, and I'm, I was not a big fan of it because it asked things like, when, what is your exit strategy? We talk about all of that. Uh, so this is a, a great conversation. It's, also, it's, a, it's, it's a fun conversation because it's an area I'm only loosely familiar with. So I learned a lot and I think you will too. And we'll get into all of that right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ahoy the easiest way to increase customer engagement on your WordPress site. Install Ahoy, create a message box, configure where to display it, and start seeing conversions come in. You can create messages for cart abandonment, upsells and cross-sells, custom support, and so much more. Ahoy's flexible conditions let you choose exactly where and when you want your message to be displayed. I've recently installed it on my own WooCommerce site, and I've already seen increased engagement. And I know this because of Ahoy's powerful analytics and reporting. You will see ROI within days of installing Ahoy, if not sooner. And that's even more true for listeners of How I Built It. You can get an exclusive 20% discount on any plan. Visit useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and use the code howibuiltit at checkout. That's useahoy.com, U-S-E-A-H-O-Y, useahoy.com slash howibuiltit, and the discount code howibuiltit. Use those today. Increase your engagement and sales on your WordPress site. Thanks to Ahoy for their support of this show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that today? My guest is Nathan Beckard. He is the CEO of Foundersuite.com. Nathan, how are you today? Very, very good. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this topic because it's not something that I often talk about, but Foundersuite is basically software to help people get uh, funding for their ideas. Is that about right? Yeah, that's correct. It's, it's software for uh, raising capital and managing investors used by startups. Awesome. And um, did you, I mean, did you come up with this idea because you were looking for funding or because uh, you were funding projects and you wanted a better way to do it? What was kind of the genesis of the idea for Foundersuite? Yeah, I spent um, 
10 years or so as a consultant, a kind of a CFO consultant working with startups, helping them raise capital. And so in doing that, I built some stuff like these elaborate spreadsheets um, in Excel that I'd use to help like track and manage the investor pipeline and things like that. So it was kind of like as a consultant, I built some stuff. I'm like, you know what, this could actually be a product that might have a broader audience beyond just using it with my clients. And so that's really where the idea came from. Oh, that's great. So you were, you basically had this internal tool that you built with spreadsheets that you uh, decided to productize. Now for someone who has never gone through the process of getting any kind of funding, um, my dad gave me an initial investment of like a thousand dollars for my business, but um, that was more of a uh, symbolic thing. Um, what what is the process for getting funding like? Uh, just just a, like a ten thousand foot overview to set the stage here. So th- there's two parts to that question, or two answers to that question. There are as many funding stories and ways people raise money as there are startups in the universe. In other words, there's kind of like not really a right way or people get it done in a thousand different ways. But in in my strongly held belief, there is kind of a right way to do it. And the right way to do it would be to, you know, first spend a pretty good chunk of time, often 50 to 100 hours, building a target list of investors. And that's, you know, tapping a lot of different databases and sources out on the web. Um, to build a list of you know 50 to 200 potential target investors, figuring out how to reach them if you have mutual connections, um, doing the research, and then really getting out there and hustling and trying to get some heat going for your deal. Um, we call that running a process where you're really running like a sales process for a period of you know X months, two to two to six months, where you're really just taking this around to investors in your target list getting them interested, keeping them up to date with what's going on and trying to get some competitive bidding situation going for your, your startup. That's what we think about fundraising. Gotcha. And so uh, you said uh, like 50 to 100 hours building a list of possible investors. That is um, probably a larger chunk. chunk of, that's more time than I expected to hear. Um, but then there's like the rest of the preparation, right? I mean, it's I can just build uh, some website thing that I think is a good idea, but then I I don't just show that to investors and say, hey, I built this and you should give me money to keep building it, right? You need like a, uh, how important is a business plan in the traditional sense? Uh, Yeah, I mean, so that number of hours in research is a shock to people, I think, because a lot of founders are like, all right, I want to go raise money. I just start, get out there and start hustling. That research, but if you take the time to do that research and really build a nice funnel, we call it a pipeline or funnel of potential investors, everything goes faster once you've done that work, done that work. And it's, you know, another thing we kind of refer back to a lot is fundraising is just like another sales process, right? Salespeople build a a pipeline of prospects and they put in a lot of time building their sales funnel. And we just want to do that same thing with, with fundraising, you know, to your other question. I mean, a business plan, it's funny because when I was consulting years ago, like everyone would write a a detailed business plan and and these were actual physical Mm -hmm. (laughs) written documents, 20 to 50 pages long. And uh, no one does that anymore. Um, However, the, the, the stuff that used to go into these business plans, like analysis of your 
target market and competitive situation and your business model, how you're going to make money, all that stuff is still really important and stuff you still need to know and be able to communicate to investors, right? But the physical written plan, no one does that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, I said I've never gone for funding, but I did enter a business plan competition when I was a student. And I just remember thinking, like, here's the template you need to follow. We placed third. So I guess it was like the third best idea or maybe the third best business plan. Um, I, I'm just like, what's my exit strategy? And like, how much do I think I'm going to make in five years? Like, I felt like a lot of it was guesswork, but you know, it was my first kind of foray into this, uh, into this world. Um, so I guess I, I, I'm happy that people aren't doing that anymore, but it, it is important to still know kind of like who your competitors are. Right. And, and, um, why you think th this idea is profitable, right? I suspect that that's a very important part of actually getting funding because the, the people who are investing want to see um, a return on their investment either through what a sale or going public. Is that? Okay, cool, cool. Um, so, uh, so the stage is set a little bit we, um, for kind of how you go about getting funding. What, uh, so if I were to sign up for... Um, so first of all, the founder suite is for somebody who does want to raise funding uh, and, and come up with um, and like find investors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what does that process look like if I were to sign up today for that? Yeah. So we have five different tools within the platform and they kind of match, you know, how fundraising actually happens. So we have a, a database of investors. It's like 40,000 funds and about a hundred thousand angels and high net worth individuals. And so of course that is something you search on by, by industry or location or type to help build that top of the funnel, right. Um, to help build that target list. So that's the database. And then we have a CRM, which is like a, a Kanban board style where you have each investor is represented by a small card and you've got stages on this board where it's like, new research, contacted, pitched, due diligence, said yes, said no. So you're, you have this pipeline management tool. So you're kind of managing all these investors through the stages of fundraising. Um, then we have this investor update tool, which is really kind of to do this regular ongoing newsletters, right? Whether you're building relationships with investors, or if you're lucky enough and you raise some money, you got to, you know, keep these investors up to date with what's going on with your company and your business. So this is a very nice like newsletter tool designed to do that. Um, there's a pitch deck hosting tool. One of the most common things, you know, people don't do business plans anymore, but you still need a pretty solid pitch deck, yeah. right? PowerPoint, PDF. This is a way to upload that into the cloud, create a, a URL around that, which you can then send to investors, track which investors are looking at your pitch deck. And then last but not least is a collection of like startup documents, things like pitch decks, term sheets, cap tables, kind of the, uh, these are Word files and Excel files, things that you need uh, to get the deal done. So we're trying to create this end-to-end -end suite of tools really to help you get this job done, which is a pretty painful job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like the, the idea of kind of going to people and asking them for money and, and that's a that's a big risk either way. Um, but I mean, making the process easier, it sounds like the process is easier for both you, and, uh, for both the, the person seeking funds and the investors, right? Because you have these 
uh, these kind of pre-made documents that I'm sure the investors probably like to use or like to see so that they don't have to spin their wheels or whatever. Absolutely. I mean, most, I don't know what the, I'm making up this statistic, but call it 99% of founders who are raising money. This is their first time doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. Right. uh, Uh, so anything that helps them kind of learn the process faster and, and reduces some of that friction and complexity and frustration, that's, that's what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And um, the, the investor update tool was something uh, that kind of jumped out to me as you were kind of explaining this, because um, you, you mentioned that it's not necessarily just people who have already invested. It's maybe people who, expressed some sort of interest, right? Maybe they said you need to hit this milestone before we invest. Is it something like that? Absolutely. That's, you're hitting the nail on the head. I kind of think of the investor update as two different tools. It's one tool, but there's sort of two different uses. One is after you've raised money, you got to keep your investors updated with what's going on in the business. That's just your fiduciary duty as an entrepreneur to do that, right? But the other part is before raising money is kind of the marketing side of things, right? You might have a hundred investors on your target list or your prospect list, and you want to be building a relationship with them and and kind of showing them that you're um, a founder who can execute and get things done and you're moving the needle. And that has to play out over usually a period of time, right? That doesn't happen in one month. Mm -hmm. That's like, they want to watch you as a, an entrepreneur and see how you're making progress. And that's where the investor update tool really helps to kind of warm up those investor relationships, even before asking them for money. Really important, like funding hack, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Yeah. They want to get to know you, right? I mean, uh, if you're selling a product online, it's more likely somebody's going to buy something from you if they know, like, and trust you. I'm sure it's that's even more magnified when you're asking somebody for several thousand tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it is that you're asking for to, to fund your, your business. hundred percent. You're, you hear people call fundraising like a marriage, you know, you're sort of getting married to these investors for the next five to 10 years of your life. Um, you can't really get rid of investors once they've invested in your company, they're attached to you and you're attached to them. So building that relationship in advance is really super, super important. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. Pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. I've always wondered about this, but I've never known who to ask, right? There's the, uh, as I um, 
mentioned before, there's like the exit plan, right? Where you either sell or uh, you go public. But there's also the the dreaded third option, right? Which is your business fails. What happens, uh, maybe if you can talk about this, what happens if, say, you give me $10,000 to start a business? That's a very, I, I assume that's a rather low number. But let's say you give me $10,000 to start a business and the business fails. Uh, am I beholden to you at all for that $10,000? Or is it like some assumed risk on the investor's part? It's assumed risk on, on the investor's part. You're in in most scenarios, I mean, there are exceptions, but in most scenarios, you're buying equity in the business and that business fails, that equity is now worthless. The, the only exceptions to that are, is if you structure it as like a loan or debt. Mm-hmm. Sometimes creditors have a, a claim on the business where if there's any value remaining, like patents or something like that, or IP, in your case, a whole you know, content um, catalog, maybe they'd have a claim to that where they, they get that. But in general, it's just the assumed risk of the business. You gotcha. fail, I fail as the investor. Yeah. Gotcha. Which is, I mean, which is why uh, they want to get to know you over the course of several months before they want to invest in you, right? Totally. So. Yeah. Cool. So let's get to the title question here, uh, which is how did you build it? And I know you, you have this experience uh, I've talked to more technical people. I come from a web development background. Um, but you can interpret this question however you'd like, maybe from the business structuring side, or if you know the tech behind how the actual website was built, we could talk about that. You have free reign uh, here. How did I build? So, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, I had some sort of predecessors to the software in the form of like Excel sheets and things I kind of built. I'm not a technical guy at all, really. I'm a business guy, um, finance guy, to be exact. And so it was actually very daunting. Like, okay, I've got this idea. How do I build this? Um, first, I spent maybe a month like trying to find a technical co-founder, someone who would just sign up with me and, and build this for me, right? And that really was useless. No, you know, yeah. if you're a good engineer coder, you don't want to just like take a gamble for <laughs> equity on someone else's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped looking for a technical co-founder and uh, hired a, uh, a development shop actually in Poland. Um, I went to a, a meetup for like designers and at the end they let you get up with a mic open mic for 30 seconds and make a little pitch. I'm like looking for, you know, help building this idea I have. And this guy in the audience is like, Oh, we've got a, a development shop in Poland that can help you out with companies called code quest. Um, still working with them five years later. And so really use them just to build an MVP of the product, which was like $30,000 or something, you know, kind of out of my savings and use that to, to at least, put something in the market, right. As a proof of concept. Um, and then, you know, I would go do consulting work, get some money, take that money, put it back into the business to build out more features. And it, it was really slow and painful process. Cause it like nothing would happen for two months as I'm saving up money. And then I put some money into the business and, um, eventually we had sort of a, I laugh at it now when I look at it, but it was a working prototype or MVP that then I was able to go around and take to investors and say, you know, here's what I'm 
the vision. Here's some proof points. People are actually using this thing. And so um, eventually raised some money on ourselves, just a little under a million dollars and, and use that to actually rebuild the, the platform um, and hire some engineers and actually build it like a proper, <laughs> a yeah. proper version of the software. Yeah. Wow. So I have um, multiple questions here. I'm, I think I'm going to go in the order in which I think you can answer them. Maybe the most easily is what I'm guessing. Um, you mentioned first that you used your own money before to get a prototype built essentially and then got investors. How important is it to um, investors to see that I, the one seeking funding, am willing to invest my own money into this business? It's it's very important. I think even if it's not money, if it's time, mm-hmm. effort, hustle, you know, you just, I always like to answer this, like put yourself in the shoes of an investor. People are coming at you all day long, 50 people a day knocking on your door, seeking money from you. You know, are you going to take someone seriously if it's just an idea and they haven't put any real either time, blood, sweat, effort, money into it, right? This guy's not serious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, very important. And uh, you just got to show versus tell, right? Show me what you're doing. And I think that's... What it comes down to? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And instead of saying like, "Hey, I think I have a good idea," will you hand me money to do it? Um, say like, "I believe in this enough to invest my own time or my weekends if I'm working a full time job or whatever uh, to to put time into this." That's I think that's really important. Um, and then uh, the other thing you mentioned was that it was a, a slow process. Um, I think that maybe there's a good takeaway there because uh, I feel like a lot of people still feel the internet is kind of like a get rich quick. Hmm. playground, right? Like they hear like, oh, like Facebook made like a bajillion dollars while Mark Zuckerberg was still at Harvard or whatever. Um, or like Google, like somebody just handed Google a check um, and like didn't expect like no deals or whatever. Um, but I think that that's an important point. You you know what you're doing, you're investing your money and um, it's probably going to take longer than you think it's going to if you want to do it right. Totally. It just, you a lot of times these overnight success stories that sound overnight actually had a seven years of buildup before it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and surprising when people really dig into some of these businesses that are going public, like they've been around for 10 years or whatever, right? It's not overnight. Um, and those early days, especially if you're not a technical, if you're not the hacker who can code this away mm-hmm. 14 hours a day, it's just going to take longer. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I like to think about like the Olympics, like that. Um, people see the the gold medalist, uh, but they don't see that the gold medalist has dedicated their entire life to getting to the point where they are now an Olympic gold medalist. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And then, um, uh, what you just said alludes to the last question that I wanted to ask around this, which is, um. What was it like being a non-technical person working with an agency? I know a lot of technical people listen to this. Um, I do a lot of client work with non-technical people. I'm also in the education space, so I try to be mindful of that. But what was the communication like there? Mm, yeah, that, challenging for sure. It was, you have, as, as a business person, you have to, I guess, suppress your ego and eagerness a little mm. bit and kind of learn 
how to talk about business ideas and product ideas in a little bit more technical terms. I mean, I, I did have a product manager who was, I guess, sort of the intermediary between obviously the engineers and me, which was very helpful, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's no way if I had not had a product manager and I was just interfacing directly with the engineers, it would have been a, a mess. And I will say one of the mistakes I made in the early days is just like, every feature idea that I have, I want to like build it in there and, you know, not having that filter mm-hmm. of a product manager <laughs> was, <laughs> was a mistake. And gosh, you just have to keep yourself away from messing up the app. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, which is like, I mean, that's, I think the most important role of a project manager, right? Is they're protecting you, the client from making sure you don't blow your budget or you don't try to put too much in at the same time to make it a bad app. They're all, they're, they should also be protecting the dev team from what's called scope creep, right? Um, so like I've worked with project managers who just liked saying yes to the client. And as a result, the developers weren't happy and the client wasn't happy. So I think that's an important role the project manager needs to play. Totally, yeah. Uh, so... Um, you mentioned, so, I mean, you had a bunch of ideas. You're really excited about this. You had, you were working with a project manager. Um, so the project manager, I suspect, would talk to you, get the features, like the, um, the ideas that you had, and then essentially translate them to the development team. Is that, a, is that about right? That's right. The, the project manager, he and I would sit down sometimes over beers, sometimes in front of a whiteboard and just kind of scope out stuff. and throw stuff up on the whiteboard and then he would take it. And I think at the time we were using um, Jira for this and, you know, kind of turn them into like development tickets. We've switched to Trello now for a lot of that work um, and different project manager, but um, yeah, that's basically it. Like he would kind of take the ideas and put them into development tickets. Cool. Very cool. And then as far as testing goes, um, did you, was it you doing most of the testing and did you have other people testing as well? Yeah, me and the, the project manager and probably needed to do more of that. I would say that was another maybe mistake is we put things out to the live into the, the universe probably before they were really ready. And you're kind of hoping your, your early users are patient with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not always <laughs> right. So, yeah, uh, that's. I mean, that's that's really interesting and funny. Like, I mean, it's it's something that I I feel like every developer, every person building something wants to do. They've tested something. I personally am very bad at testing because uh, I equate it to like building a chair, um, and then like slamming that chair against the wall to see if it breaks. Like, you don't want to break your chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, I can totally level with that. Um, not as not as sexy as building stuff, you know, yeah. testing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's the stuff that the the users are going to see. So, um, you know, it's it is important. This episode is brought to you by Cloudways. Are you facing performance and security issues, or launching your ambitious project with WordPress? Look no further. Cloudways has got you covered. Their managed WordPress hosting is the best choice for websites looking for ultimate speed, advanced security, and 24-7 expert support. Now, a lot of hosts promise a lot of things, but they have a whole bunch of features to choose from, including cloud providers like DigitalOcean 
Amazon Web Services, and Google Cloud. And you can quickly and easily get up and running with your WordPress website without the need to be a system admin. You get a CDN, scalability, staging, and backups out of the box. I recently set up a WordPress website on AWS with Cloudways, and it was by far the easiest experience I have ever had with AWS. Cloudways works as an extended team for individuals and businesses, handles all of the server management, and lets you focus on building amazing websites for your ever-growing business. If you like what you've heard, start with a three-day free trial of Cloudways now. And don't forget to use the promo code HIBI20 for a free $20 hosting credit. Head over to howibuilt.it slash cloudways today. Moving on actually to that next point, how how did you get users? Because um, it sounds like it was mostly you in the beginning. You hired this development firm to do the development. Somebody had to do the marketing as well to get people on the platform. That was mostly me um, doing that because I'm a little better at that than uh, development, I would say, but we, gosh, we did everything you can imagine. We, we did a lot of going around to these tech startup conferences, like launch conference, um, tech wrench disrupt and a handful of other ones. Uh, and you know, we get a demo table, um, get our, our laptop and monitor out there, get some cheap, swag some beer cozies or whatever and you know kind of hustle on the the trade room floor we put on a couple events related to fundraising where we you know find a, a we work space or something where we could have a hundred people in a room and we'd get a couple venture capitalists to come in as speakers then we'd sell tickets to people so we kind of build an audience you know obviously for what we're doing um, by throwing on events, um, started to do a little content marketing. And over time, our, our marketing thing has become much more content marketing focused than event driven um, than it used to be. But, uh, and then just like kind of reaching out to like everyone I know on LinkedIn and other places and kind of telling them what we're up to. And, you know, usually having an ask, like, can you introduce me to founders who might be raising money? Can you introduce me to accelerators? who might find a use for this, things like that. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's super interesting. Um, mostly the, the part where you would hold uh, events, you would host events to try to get users. And I know that actually um, to pull back the curtain a little bit, when you filled out uh, the Calendly link, that was specifically mentioned, right? Building events and podcasts as part of a product platform. Um, what, can you expand on, on that part a little bit and like kind of how you, realized, hey, we should host our own events to to build an audience? Yeah, it's just, it's it's actually a pretty, it was great. We haven't done an event in a year, unfortunately, but we, we do one called uh, Funding 2.0, kind of the future of raising capital, you know, having some nice grandiose title mm -hmm. that in, intrigues people. Um, but in the early days, it was a great growth hack because, you know, you think about it, right? You maybe pay 500 bucks to get a space. You pay another 500 bucks for pizza and beer. And then you get a couple speakers who are, are draws to audience. Um, they'll usually do it for free, right? Cause they want to build their own brand and then you sell tickets, right? You sell tickets on Eventbrite and stuff like this. And 
couple of them, we actually made a, f- a couple thousand dollars on the events. Wow. You know, I think one we made like five grand on something like that. And so it's, it's getting our name out there. It's getting an audience. I think our biggest one might've even been like 300 people. Wow. Um, so you got 300 people in a, in a room, captive audience. They're there because they're interested in venture capital or raising capital. Obviously you're, you know, moderating the sessions. So you're introducing mm-hmm. founder suite and what you do. So you're kind of promoting there at the event. Uh, and you also have their email addresses cause they've signed up through Eventbrite. So, <laughs> and you make 5,000 bucks on it. So it's yeah. it it, now the, the caveat is it takes a crazy amount of actual time and effort right. to put on events and making it sound much easier than it is. Yeah. But you can't you know, just like find an event and then like the next day have it. <laughs> right. It yeah. takes a couple months of prepping and planning. And you're always worried the week beforehand that the room's going to be empty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, is anyone going to show up to this? Am I going to lose money on this? It, it can be pretty stressful, but, uh, but it can be pretty good too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And especially, you know, Eventbrite's a great tool. Meetup.com is another one where like you could probably find an audience in, a, in an area pretty quickly. But I think that's a great idea and it's probably underutilized, especially in a, an increasingly remote world, right? Um, when you said that, like you and your project manager would get together in front of a whiteboard. I'm like, you worked like in the same room? Uh, was it? Or- <laughs> so, yeah. Um. I, you know, I think that's really interesting and I think that's a really cool idea. Um, so as we're coming up on time here, uh, you kind of mentioned funding 2.0 and I'd love to talk about plans for the future, not only of foundersuite.com, but also of, um, of kind of venture capital, uh, venture capital in general and getting investors because now there's like, um, you know, I mean, there's like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, for example. I think those are probably a different animal, but then there are also tools where you can get like a bunch of micro investors, quote unquote, right? But they're like actual angel investors. And and the the term or the website is totally escaping my, my uh, uh, the, the name is totally escaping me right now, but I know my friend used it to get funding for his startup. Hmm. It was a, was it a crowdfunding platform or, or something else? It was, it wasn't crowdfunding in the same sense as Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Like I think there were actual investors on there making smaller investments. Um, and I, I really wish that I could remember the name of it, but um, <laughs> well, there are, yeah. Know, so you have, there are a number of sites out there and there's, I can't even think there's a bunch of them. Um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are interesting, right? They kind of pioneered the, the crowdfunding model, but it would usually be crowdfund like where you are basically pre-purchasing a consumer product. I've got an idea for a new clock radio or whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. um, cooler with a radio built into it or whatever. And you're, you know, backing it, giving the company money, you're getting the product before everyone else and some other perks. A whole bunch of other sites have come on and done equity crowdfunding, which is probably what your friend was doing, mm-hmm. where investors can buy small amounts of, of stock in a startup. Yeah. Um, you know, that can work. I have thoughts on this. Equity crowdfunding can work if you've got one of two things, either something like really unique and novel. Um, again, I think one of those Kickstarter campaigns was like that cooler with a built-in radio. So right. something that's like really cool and people are just fired up about it. 
or if you already have an audience that you can tap to invest in your business, right? If, like you've got followers for your show, you know, if you're going to crowdfund for your show, you might be able to tap that audience to invest. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those two things, I don't think equity crowdfunding is very compelling. A lot of these sites will sell you on this idea that you just come in, pay them a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, whatever it is, post up like a description of your business and investors are going to flock to you. That doesn't, that's not reality. You kind of have to bring your own audience. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's actually a lesson that I just learned. Um, I went to like a Patreon workshop recently because I'm trying to build up the Patreon for my podcast. And I thought just like, oh, I'll post a page like people will pay $5 a month. And I'm like, but I'm barely telling them about it. I, I'm not giving them any benefits that are worth the $5 a month. So um, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, Angel List, is that, that is that one? That's the name that just came to mind. Um, where like, yeah, yeah. So they're one of the older and probably larger um, equity type crowdfunding. I don't even know if they even call themselves that anymore, but yeah, mm-hmm. they are in that category. And uh, we actually raised a little bit of money on Angelus, which was great. They've evolved a little bit since those days. I don't know how long recently your friend did it, but now they're more helping facilitate like syndicates. So if you're an angel mm-hmm. investor, you can build out a syndicate and do do deals. So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. So actually that's a really interesting kind of, not necessarily reversal, but a direction change. So I guess the root of my question is, um, and I think I probably know the answer to this already. Do you think that platforms like this are eventually going to replace our traditional investors? And, and actually let me stop there because we've never actually defined like, um, types of investors, right? Like you have I think they say that the first investors you should go for are friends, fools, and family. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and then is it angel investors? Yeah, typically angels. And then beyond angels, you might have seed mm-hmm. funds, seed venture funds, and then larger venture funds. And then, you know, as you kind of get way later, you have your private equity firms. Um there are other entities around there like family offices. That's usually like a, uh, an investment team making, doing deals on behalf of like a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some other types of investors out there too. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, so do you think that um, like these types of crowdfunded platforms could eventually replace the traditional investment models? Or do you think that they're pretty much here to stay? Cause Ideas are getting bigger. Funding is is um, such an integral part to a startup business. Yeah, the problem with some of these platforms is we call it the adverse selection problem, where the neediest. So it's a marketplace, right? You're trying to have startups on one side and investors on the other. The the neediest startups are the ones that often gravitate towards these platforms. Mm. Like the, sometimes kind of, let's be honest, the crappiest startups are yeah. the ones that are like, right. tried to raise money other ways they can't. So they're now flocking to these platforms. And on the other side of the coin, top tier investors already have so many good deals coming at them that they don't need to come to these platforms. So in some ways, there's this adverse selection problem where both sides are sort of drawing in like crappier companies and crappier investors. And I think that's a hard thing to break out of uh, sometimes, right? Because 
really good startups and really good investors don't need these platforms. Yeah, so, right. That's yeah. a good point. I mean, like, uh, I'm going to use the name that everybody reckon, recognizes, right? But like, Peter Thiel isn't going to be on AngelList or Seed Lead or whatever, you know, any of these websites. Because um, he's, he's got plenty going on in, in his world. Um, and, then, and then, like you said, right? Like, I mean, the Google story is so interesting to me because um, the founders were basically like, we want money, and, but we don't really want to give equity. And that worked for a little while, right? Where people just kind of cut them checks to be like, all right, this is very revolutionary, right? Like they wouldn't need to go to a website like this. Um, because their idea was so revolutionary. So, yeah. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, um, Nathan, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I do need to ask my favorite question, uh, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, I think that's a good question. I think trying to figure out things to do for your business to grow and market that are scalable is, is the hardest thing to do, but what you've got to do. So I'll, I'll give an example of this. Um, you know, we were doing events, right? Events are awesome, but they're actually pretty hard to scale beyond that, say, 200 people. Once you go beyond like a 200 person event, you've got to get professional caterers and you're, you're not just ordering pizza. You've got to. Right. Yeah. Event insurance, probably a whole bunch of other stuff. It's so much stuff. It gets much harder, you know, once you get larger. So events are hard to scale. Uh, You got to hire people to man the door and all kinds of stuff. Right. So how do you figure out ways to, you know, scale that aren't going to break the budget? And I think, you know, like I love your show and we've got a show that's a little in the same vein called How I Raised It. It's a podcast nice. about how to raise capital. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, uh, and, and that's been scaling and that's fun because it's like, there's not the limitations that you have with an event. Same content, same audience, but it's a more scalable type of model where it's a podcast versus an event. So I think that's the trade secret is just like, Always be thinking like how how can I port my time and money into things that are scale scalable, basically. Awesome, I love that. I will certainly link to that show, uh, and then we could probably get like a little cycle going where you talk to people about how they raised it, and then I send them over my way, and vice versa. <laughs> you built it exactly. Um, awesome, awesome. Well, and thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, so uh, I'm going to link to the podcast and to foundersuite.com. But where um, is there any other place that people can find you? That's pretty much it. And we're moderately active on Twitter, but not very active. And it's just at Founder Suite um, on Twitter. We do have a pretty good uh, YouTube channel, um, Founder Suite as well, and uh, and Facebook. We have a funding hex group on Facebook, nice. and then yeah, just the podcast. How I raised it on you know the usual places, iTunes and Spotify and stuff like that. Um, that's about it. Otherwise, foundersuite.com. Fantastic. I will link to those and everything that we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Nathan, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it too. It was a fun chat. Thanks so much to Nathan for joining us this week. I love his story. I love that um, for, he used uh, his his own money to build a, a 
minimum viable product, which he needed to to get funding, right? So um, I, I loved that. I love that he said something that has been echoed since the very first episode of the show. Overnight successes uh, are not ever overnight. Um, and then we talked a little bit about his plans for the future. And uh, he's he's his trade secret was trying to figure out things to do for your business to scale and grow is hard, but it's extremely important. And I'm going through this right now. Uh, there is a lot I want to accomplish in 2020, including taking my business to the next level and planning all that is very difficult. I said th this morning as I record this, uh, I said this morning that the it's an art form to be intentional. And I think that gets to the root of what Nathan was saying here. So thanks again for his time. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors as well. They are Ahoy, Cloudways, and Pantheon. Definitely, definitely check them out. If you liked this episode, be sure to like and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, as we approach the end of season seven and I'm gearing up for season eight, I have some plans uh, to be more intentional and I want to hear from you. So if there's a topic that you are interested in or a question that you have, you can go to howibuilt.it slash feedback. It is an extremely simple form, just your email address and the feedback you have, the email address, uh, just so I can write you back and, and maybe get more information. But I really want to hear from you as I gear up for 2020. So once again, that URL is howibuilt.it slash feedback. It will be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find over at howibuilt.it slash 146. And until next time, get out there and build something.